Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Back in action. Triple Third Theater. Episode 40. I'm Joe Daxberger. 40? I'm Ryan Miller. Hey, Mills. Hey, Dax. You know... I feel like we come up with a lot of great names for episodes. <laughs> uh huh. Like legit. Like we have a good time coming up with trifectas and names. It's true. Posters. I mean, we enjoy ourselves here at Triple Threat. If you're not having fun, why do it? You're goddamn right. So it comes to tonight's episode, Milsey. Uh huh. Our single listener might remember. I think we we probably both sounded like a little surprised when we announced it. I don't know if I did. I'm pretty sure you might have. And I'm just going to come out and say it. It's another great name. Is it? I think so. I love it. I've loved it more and more every day since we picked it. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me too much. Completely forgot that it was a thing. Pretty sure. Pretty sure it was a placeholder Pretty name. sure. But, but until we came up with a good title for the episode. <laughs> and then, but then old Jenny, the then, number generator, you know. Lo and behold, we did come up with a great name. Millsy, <laughs> episode 40. Shorties. Shorties up on episode 40. Who who would have expected that? Who'd have thunk? Milzy, here we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1966, Fantastic Voyage. Yeah. 1987's Inner Space. I think people know where this is going. 1989's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Shorties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, holler at us in the comments. Let us know how you feel, listener. About the title Shorties? Yeah. I want to say my original thought was little people, but then I was like, eh, that's probably yeah. not a good idea. You could come up with something. I was probably like, you can come with something better. <laughs> Shorties. <laughs> yep. Sold. We'll circle back to that one later. Well, <laughs> and here we are. It's going to look great on a poster, you know? So <laughs> I hope you're right. Mills, what kind mm-hmm. of history you got here? Well, sir. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was a big one for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Loved that movie. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Loved that movie since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched it many, many times in my youth. Less of a fan of the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did one time see Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, the third one. But, a direct-to-video uh, sequel, if I remember yeah. correctly. Never went back for more after that, but... um. Yeah, I mean, loved loved the original Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as a youth, and I remember sixth grade, uh, I think it was 1996, going to Universal Studios in Florida. Well, going to Disney World and then spending a day at Universal Studios with the family, and they had, it's almost like a, I think they had an attraction called like Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. I don't remember if we did that, Mm. but they had like a huge playground for kids to run around on 
that was themed after like the yard in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it was like a giant cookie you could climb on and <laughs> giant Legos and blades of grass and like a giant ant you could sit on and get mm-hmm. your picture taken and everything. And I remember that. I, I have some pictures of me as a kid running around in there. And so that was a good time. Inner space I saw sometime in the last like 10, 15 years. Only seen it the one time. Didn't remember a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. And then Fantastic Voyage is one of those ones I've always wanted to get around to. And uh, the show just has a way of making it happen. <laughs> yeah, we certainly do. So that was a first time watch for me. Very Fantastic nice. Fantastic Voyage. Very nice. How about yourself? Uh, I'd say a similar experience with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, regularly on the TV at the Daxberger household. Grew up watching this movie. Mm-hmm. It came out when I was seven. I mean, I probably... Could have seen, I mean, I feel like that movie's always been around. Um, Never been to Universal Studios, so I never got to partake in the giant playground Hmm. action. But as far as the movie, it's been, always had a a spot in my heart. I mean, is this like one of the movies that you could like link back to a love of sci-fi, like without even knowing it at a young age? Like, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, a a constant in the house was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, Oddly enough inner space almost exactly the same always on the house i've seen it countless times both of those i have not seen in i mean decade plus at least if not more Mm -hmm. than that um they're so like ingrained in my memory because i've seen both of them so many times that could have probably written down the synopsis of each like beat for beat just because i've seen them so many times Mm -hmm. inner space definitely skews for the older crowd but that was never uh, really a factor for me growing up because we just uh, watched all types of things that maybe we yeah. should or should not have watched. But, <laughs> you know, it was my formative years. It's the way to do it. Yeah, man. And then Fantastic Voyage, I was aware. Never seen it. I think I was pretty sure it was just like, you know, scientists go inside a person. Yeah. I think uh, probably far more familiar with like the Rick and Morty episode. That's kind of like it then. <laughs> I feel like itself. the whole idea, like the concept behind Fantastic Voyage of going inside someone's body, whether it's to perform some kind of surgery or not, is um is a thing that's been like parodied and homaged in like probably half of the cartoons that I watched as a kid <laughs> in yeah. one way or another, you know. Uh-huh. So I'm there with you. There's a I don't know I don't think I necessarily could have nailed like if you told me to like draw the the craft from fantastic voyage but i was like kind of familiar with it to be like if i you know if you showed it to me like what movie is this from i think i would have known it was fantastic voyage mm-hmm. that's really that's kind of it for me as far as any knowledge of the movie really yeah i didn't i didn't know a ton about it aside from what you need to know mm-hmm. shawty's go inside a guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what else it's funny you get to stop and thinking about it like uh there are a lot of movies about shrinking people down. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just right on back to The Incredible Shrinking Man or mm-hmm. right up to stuff like Ant-Man. Yeah, it's awfully prevalent throughout cinematic history. It's just funny to think, like, I remember when uh, when we were doing the episode Nighttime, like, I wanted to watch, I think, uh, I, wa- I wanted to watch uh, Flesh and Blood and then... Uh, a Knight's Tale came to mind pretty quickly. And I remember like struggling to think of another Knights in Armor movie to complete mm-hmm. the trio. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, knights. That's like a pretty broad, you know, relatively familiar topic. But yeah. then if you want movies about shrinking people down, I feel like I could name like twice as many <laughs> as I could like oh, yeah. night movies, oddly enough. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's a, it's like a cool it's a cool thing because it as I'm sure we'll get into like the the age of practical effects versus digital. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a uh, some pretty wild examples on both ends. Mm-hmm. So. But what's really fascinating about a premise like this right down to the three movies that we're going to be talking about is, you know, it's like a wild idea and then attempting to accomplish it without computer generated effects for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with Ant-Man these days, those movies are fun, but, you know, they can do just about anything they want and they can do it on a computer screen. Right. But then, I mean, we will definitely get into this as we talk more in depth about these movies, but the lengths at which the people making these films had to go to to yeah. pull off, you know, people that small visually mm-hmm. on screen, mm-hmm. pretty mind blowing. It's movie magic, baby. Our favorite. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, let's just, we should get right into it. All right, let's go. Giddy up. Fantastic Voyage, 1966. You are listening to the sound of a completely new screen experience. A startling new kind of excitement. As 20th Century Fox plunges you into the most incredible adventure that man could ever achieve. make a motion picture that crosses a new frontier may seem impossible today. Outer space, the depths of the sea, the bowels of the earth, the past, the future, all have been subjects for the camera. But now, a film called Fantastic Voyage has broken through in an unexpected direction to create an adventure of astonishing suspense and beauty. One of the miracles of the universe. Its vital news story sweeps down from the sky. Then it drops the bottom out of the world you know and understand. As a beleaguered nation desperate for survival launches a journey you can never erase from your memory. We need you for security purposes, Mr. Grant. A scientist is nearly assassinated. In order to save him, a submarine is shrunk into microscopic size and injected into his bloodstream with a small crew. Problems arise almost as soon as they enter the bloodstream. <laughs> yes, the Red Scare. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Connections are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, like reading about this movie just before watching it, it mentioned that there was like a traitor among the group, which is not something I ever expected to be the case. No. Watching this movie, because again, I guess I had it in my head that this was just going to be like, an adventure of whimsy. And I suppose that's the way that it was originally written is just like a like a adventure film to like wow the audience with like, look at what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. But then somewhere along the line, the studio interjected and was like, hey, let's get a writer to put some some uh, commies in here, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> right. right. You know, people, people are afraid of them right now. Yeah. That'll get people to the theaters. Yeah, and so the whole the whole setup for the movie is that uh, it, it was actually kind of interesting uh, that they you know they bring the main character uh, his name is Grant who's uh, what was even his like job like he came escorting a scientist to 
this facility that they were going to. I, you know, he's something in the military, but I don't remember them saying if he was like a general or security or anything like that. It's like it's even kind of vague why they chose him to be. I think he, he's a he was in the CIA, I believe. Is that what it was? Yeah. But yeah, so they're like filling him in on the whole concept of like this is the place where we have we've discovered the technology to shrink people down, mm-hmm. and then. <laughs> Uh, the main character's like, well, what if, uh, you know, our enemies ever get a hold of it? And the dude explaining stuff to him is like, oh, they already have the technology too. Uh, (laughs) we're just basically in a race to see who can make people small longer. Because one of the stipulations is that, uh, when you're shrunk down, whatever is shrunk can only remain that way for exactly 60 minutes, which is awfully Mm -hmm. convenient. Awfully. But, uh, I thought that was a neat idea that it's not like we're trying to keep the commies from learning how to shrink people down it's they already know how to as well yeah. we just want to be the ones to yeah. learn how to make it last right. longer because then right. we'll have like the one up in the the cold war yeah the miniaturization cold war yeah it's interesting yeah to think because from what you know what i grew up on the other two movies there's not that factor of like you're going to go back to normal size eventually anyway so that was an interesting angle i wasn't expecting yeah that thrown in the the Soviet Union stuff, so. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of only being able to stay shrunk down a certain amount of time, I mean, it definitely adds a ticking clock, which I think was important to this type of story. Oh, yeah. There's a similar element, not about, like, how long you can stay small, but there's, like, a ticking clock element in inner space as well, yeah. which I keep wanting to call it dreamscape because... Dennis Quaid is in both of them. <laughs> I don't know why, but inner space, uh, there's a similar ticking clock element because that as well is like a thriller with like good guys and bad guys where Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is more of what it feels like this movie was originally written to be, which was just like an adventure film. Mm-hmm. That's certainly what I was expecting. I was just, ex- like you said, I was the whimsy. Yeah, I expected it to be more just about the wonder of it. Like, mm-hmm. we are, like, we're shrunk down. We're inside the body. Look at look at all these amazing things. And there's a degree of that, but there really is, like, a plot pushing it forward that I wasn't expecting in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also not expecting in this one, Donald Pleasance, who Donald. seems to have been in every movie between 1965 and 1985. I mean, guy's pretty prolific. He just pops up in everything. You know, so it's kind of funny. They introduce the concept at the beginning that there is, they believe that there's a traitor in their midst. And, uh, you know, it's not the main character that we're following, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've pretty much fingered the other scientist who Raquel Welch is the assistant for. Mm-hmm. But then the whole movie, I'm just thinking, like, how can you have Donald Pleasance in here <laughs> not have him turn out to be the bad guy? <laughs> And then he is. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's funny because, you know, they certainly set it up like there's only two people you can trust. Mm-hmm. The main guy and Donald Pleasance. Grant and Dr. Michaels. Yeah, it's like, of course, the one person that they tell you you can trust is the one who's the bad guy because right. they don't want you to figure it out. But Mil- Milzy, he was the ultimate hero in Loomis. Like, why do you immediately think he'd be a bad guy? I mean, he's also... Ernst Stavro Blofeld and James Bond. So <laughs> he's like the epitome of a, you know, conniving movie villain as well. What do you think is his bigger role? His more prolific role? Well, I mean, he played Loomis in how many movies? Like six? Oh, I'm the last one to ask. I have no idea. 
I mean, he's in Halloween, Halloween 2, uh, Halloween 4, 5, and 6, I believe. He died while they were filming 6. So, I mean, he played that character five times. Then again, how many people have seen all of the Halloween films, unless you're just like a horror hound, you know? Yeah. I'm sure most people have seen the first one and likely stopped there. I bet you if you asked most people, they wouldn't have any concept that the third one doesn't even have Michael Myers in it. And that would probably (laughs) blow their minds because those movies become pretty obscure after the first one, I feel. The third one's the best. Oh, who said that? I'm I'm with you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I only wish Loomis was in it. That would have made it even better if he just showed up. Now, you don't need Loomis because you have Tom Atkins. True, but I just mean like Loomis running in the background through the parking lot or something, just just for fun. But you know, so back to Loomis in this movie. Yeah. So if your if your question is which is the bigger role, I mean, he as Blofeld, he's not in James Bond much because he's like, you know, he's playing number one or whatever the, the mm-hmm. character who's like the mystery villain who you only see like his hands petting a cat <laughs> and all for most mm-hmm. of the time, and then at the very end you see him, but. Uh, I don't know. He's probably more well known from Halloween, okay, well, because that's the bigger modern film. But I got you. So, but he's got an untrustworthy face, is what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, I've again, he's in a billion things and like scraping the bottom of the barrel of horror movies for like Shocktober every year. I find myself watching just a ton of things that I'm surprised to see him pop up in, and he's oftentimes playing like evil or creepy characters, you know. So. I don't know. I yes, Loomis is like a big role for him and he's like a hero, but definitely when I saw him in this and they went to such great lengths right at the beginning to say the only person you can trust mm-hmm. is Donald Pleasance. I was like, oh, Donald Pleasance <laughs> is the bad guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's definitely the bad guy. See, I had a di- I had a different experience with the whole wondering who the villain was because I mean, now granted this movie came out in 66 mm-hmm. and I was like as it's going along, I was kind of curious. I never necessarily was wasn't sure of it at any point, but I was like, I was like, do they really want me to think that Raquel Welch is the villain? Because you know they make like the one like general freaks out about her being there. I feel like the whole the I mean, whole that's name just, of that's sexist. That's not because yeah. they were trying to insinuate right. that she was the villain. I mean, no. well, I get there, but it's like between that and then like. I was. I started to think. I was like, man, they were just. I think they were just. This is how they were towards women back then, because it was like between the name of the the miniaturization unit that they just seemed like they had that name, so they could make a women crack about it. <laughs> the delinquent women. Uh, she doesn't speak until like a half hour into the movie, which I was like, was, was that she doesn't have a ton of lines. No. Uh, you know, she is a scientist, so she's helpful here and there, but of course, like. You know, it seems like her one job on board was to strap down the laser gun. And Mm -hmm. then, yes, it was meddled with by Donald Pleasance, which we would learn later. But everyone's blaming her. And she's like, I I was sure that I strapped it down. So (laughs) it's like they're showing her is like, oh, she's potentially inadequate at doing her job. And then she does become a damsel in distress later on that the Mm -hmm. four men have to save. So. It was funny. I mean, by the by the point with the laser, I was like, okay, it's not her because I was like, this is just how, this is just how they're treating the one woman in the cast. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's just really unfortunately the way that it was. I mean, oh, God, yeah. when that general or whoever it is is putting up such a fight against her yeah. going on the mission, oh, I was just geez. like, okay, man, stop it, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, 
I didn't necessarily ever at any point fig- finger Donald Pleasance for it. Really? Not, not I was exactly. pretty sure that it wasn't the scientist that they were like uh, thinking it was, mm-hmm. that they were you know skeptical about because they went ahead and said it. And I was like, now there's got to be more of a mystery. So right. I thought it's either the captain, uh, Raquel Welch, or Donald Pleasance. Right. Pretty quickly, I ruled out Raquel Welch, and I mean the cap or the the not the captain, but the pilot. Yeah, he doesn't do anything besides pilot. So I don't know. I was pretty convinced it was. I would I would have put ten bucks down on Donald Pleasance. I like it. Um, I kind of feel like I might have missed. Did does it miss at any point? Did I miss at any point where he like reveals why? I think he's just a communist spy for the other side. There wasn't anything like he didn't have any like line of dialogue about it, right? He just kind of. No, he like knocks out the pilot and tries to crash the thing. Yeah, okay. Because you know they say like, like right in the opening, you know the plane lands with the scientist and the main character. Scientist gets in like a black sedan and they're going to take him to the lab because mm-hmm. essentially this scientist is the one who has figured out how to extend the shrinking process so that people can stay small longer than sixty minutes and. uh Instead of writing it down or like transmitting it somehow, he doesn't want, you know, the communists to learn the secret before the Americans have it. So he goes in person to like tell the people at the lab and the communists know this. And it seems like their goal is to either capture him and force him to tell them or failing that kill him so that nobody has the answer. Right. And so in their attempt to foil the Americans learning the true secret, he gets like a bump on the noggin and that's what they have to go in and fix. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to save the guy who knows how to extend the shrinking Mm -hmm. process. And then calamity ensues, like we say, around these points. The thing that got me, and I'm not too surprised because in old science fiction movies, and it's admittedly something that I tried to emulate in uh, the first issue of the comic that Tony and I do, Skin Deep, mm-hmm. before any action can take place in a movie with a sci-fi concept like this, they have to spend an eternity explaining how it works. Mm-hmm. This is just a thing with old movies. So, like, the actual explanation through bullshit pseudoscience uh, and the actual act of watching them shrink the people down before they even get into the body and begin the plot takes forever forever when they go (laughs) there's like three levels to shrinking yeah and they they show you in real time the exact um, every nook and cranny bit of the whole process yeah it's like the dude's like, okay, phase one, and then something happens for a minute or two, and then he's like, phase two, and then something happens for a while, and then finally he's like, phase three, and I'm like, finally. Yeah. Then phase three takes forever, and then he's like, phase four, and I'm like, god damn, how many phases are there? <laughs> and I'm think sitting there thinking to myself, like, this movie's only like, it's a little more than an hour and a half, I think, uh, maybe like an yeah. hour 40, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, like, the meat and potatoes of this movie is the uh you know inside the body stuff like that's what we're all waiting to get to and it's like man they are really stretching out this intro so probably they could save themselves some worry doing extra scenes inside the body (laughs) that would have been harder to do i mean 100 percent. that's what happened i mean it's kind of cool i I like that stuff but it definitely could have been sped up a little bit like i say it's it's like a stereotype of these kind of movies which i'm aware of and i have tried to emulate but Mm -hmm. just for effect but uh yeah it's yeah, could have could have been sped up a little bit. Because I was, because even me, I noticed it too. 
Uh, I wouldn't necessarily know it was like a hard and fast trope, but it sounds like it probably is. Mm-hmm. I just never caught it before. But watching this, I was like, damn, I was like, they, they, the clock is ticking already, people. Let's go. You know, it's like there's four phases and every one of them is slow. And like, I bet you the real reason for that is because back in 1966 when this came out, this would have been like a special effects Marvel, like something that people had never seen before. And I bet you they took all that time just because they were figuring this part of the movie is going to captivate audiences, uh-huh. like watching these people shrink. And the first time we're inside the capsule and looking out through the window at like a giant eyeball of a person, like right. that would have probably been like mesmerizing for audiences at the time. At least that's my assumption. Yeah, for sure. And so they were really reveling in like, look what we can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look at these camera effects. Yeah. Maybe it's a sign of the times, or it was sci-fi back then, but it's like, there's not really any character development. So it feels no. like... Everyone's know, a stereotype. The, everyone's a stereotype. They do what they do, and it's all about, like, the amazement for the eye, which is mm-hmm. basically, like, what you're saying. It's, let's, let's like, show off a little, you know? Yeah. Like, let's get inside this body. Let's show you some lungs and some, uh, the lymph node jungle, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I read something that, I mean, it's kind of surprising, but apparently the special effects and design work for the movie was so cutting edge that um, in like medical schools up until like into the 1980s, they would show clips from the film to help like illustrate various concepts of like human anatomy and physiology and stuff in medical schools because it was like this was a big budget film that like attempted to show like somewhat scientifically accurate stuff and so they were like hey this is you know better than any illustration that we can do like and and it moves like we can show the students with this and Mm -hmm. that blows my mind that up until the 80s they were still (laughs) showing medical students that stuff so wow that's surprising i mean it it looks good Mm -hmm. for 66 you know it's it's interesting it's like every area looks different which is fun Mm mm-hmm you know, some of it looks like, uh, I don't know, plastic bags on the walls with the <laughs> lights behind them or something. A lot of those scenes in the body early, like when they're in the bloodstream, mm-hmm. I was honestly a little disappointed because oh, it was oh, just like a green void with like bubbles almost. Yeah, like not great bubble action. I was like, at that point, when they first get in that, I was totally thinking, I was like, because I had not seen, I've never seen the anything from this besides the ship. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is this what the whole thing looks like? <laughs> yeah. And I was like settling in. I was like, oh boy. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll see where this goes. So at least they did change it up. Yeah. So later on when they Bruce. like, it's one of those movies where it's like one step forward, two steps back. They have a simple plan and then things keep going wrong. Sometimes because of uh, sabotage on the part of Donald Pleasance, as we learn later in the film. But other times it's just like, uh oh, this path is blocked or we got sucked down the wrong, you know, ventricle or something like that. <laughs> and so it's like the what seems like it def- it feels like it's longer than an hour that they're shrunken down. It feels like they're in there for a goddamn eternity because things keep going wrong. It's like they'll fix a problem through yeah. some like marvel of innovation. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, there's another problem. And the amount of times that they like. We're just like, okay, well, let's just put on scuba gear and hop out into the bloodstream. Yeah. I yeah. was just like, what? <laughs> totally. 
They like, like couldn't wait to get out of the ship. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they're going to go swimming in this guy's blood again. Pretty funny. I was I was laughing. I was like, I was enjoying it because I was just like, this is it's just so crazy. When you watch, I don't know for you, but for me, like when I definitely like movies from the 60s mm-hmm. have just this whole vibe that just I mean, I enjoy for what they are, but it's just just like so different. They're so else. campy and corny. But like at the time, something like this would have probably been taken seriously by most mm-hmm. moviegoers because it seemed yeah. so like advanced or whatever. But mm-hmm. to watch it now, you're just like, this looks so I mean, it's I'm not taking anything away from it, but it looks so dumb at the same time. <laughs> right. You know, well, like I said, the lymph node jungle, I was like. I was like, it looks like there's hanging plants in here right now. <laughs> They're getting stuck in the thrusters, you know? Yeah. And there were there were plenty of parts where, like, they're floating around and you can literally see the wires uh, that they're hanging from. And I did make note of that because I feel like that's the first time in a long time I've seen just flat out seen wires in a movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's because it was in HD or what, but. Just, you know, there was no way to hide that with computers back then or anything, so. You know, they did their best, but you could still see them. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like super blatant, but. No, but definitely like, oh, there's a wire. I see that one. (laughs) And there were funny parts. Like, it reminded me of the old uh, 1960s Batman TV show where they would, Batman and Robin would climb, like scale the outside of a building. Mm -hmm. But it was obviously just them like walking on flat land and pretending (laughs) to climb. And then they turn the camera sideways. Uh That end part of the movie when they're like rescuing Raquel Welch. Uh, and they're like allegedly swimming up. It's obviously just them oh, like yeah. swimming sideways with wires, mm-hmm. but with the camera turned. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's fun to spot that kind of stuff. It doesn't affect my you know enjoyment of the movie, but it's like I see what you're doing there. <laughs> yeah, I thought the whatever those like the body's like security system or whatever those little white blood cell looking guys, the strands of X's <laughs> that came mm-hmm. after them. That was kind of neat and like ramps up the sci-fi when it's like, oh, God, the body is attacking them. Yeah. That little bit of like kind of body horror when one of them envelops Donald Pleasance. Oh, God. That was surprisingly. I mean, there's no blood or anything, but it's surprisingly horrific. Oh, yeah. Big time. It's like the blob. Yeah. uh, It's just like sucking like up his head. That was Mm -hmm. pretty surprising. I did like that moment. It was very cool looking. But like the part where Raquel Welch gets uh, covered in those little oh yeah strands, yep, and uh, then they bring her into the ship and they're trying to get them off and they like crystallize like all that stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all things considered, did a good job with it. Yeah. So. The thing is, like, the movie does have like a forward thrust and a ticking clock, like I said, but somehow it still feels like it was just really moving at its own pace. Mm-hmm. Like, even though. It was supposed to be like, oh, we we don't have any time. We have to hurry. Everything felt kind of like slow and gradual. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is why I think it felt like they were inside the body for so much longer than they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. All, all told, uh, it was a it was a fun little ride. Yeah, I concur. Uh, won the Academy Awards for best art direction color. So apparently, at this point, they had a separate category for black and white films. Okay. And uh, best special effects, not too surprising. Yeah, no, makes sense. And uh, the effects were so impressive that they received a photo spread and an article about them in Life magazine. Oh, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. (laughs) 
the first American feature film, apparently, to feature no musical score during the opening credits. Huh. If you recall, like, the beginning of the movie actually is silent for a long time. To the point where I was beginning to wonder if there was, like, something wrong with the version I was watching online. (laughs) Because it's like, you'll even see people talking, like, their mouths are moving, but there's no audio. And I'm thinking, is this just, like, a choice dramatically for the opening that we don't hear anything? Or is there something fucked up with the Amazon version? Right. But, uh, yeah, the entire opening is, like just like kind of computer sounds like clicking and buzzing and Mm -hmm. there's like no actual music which was apparently quite the departure at the time i guess that was the thing yeah did you do you know how much this movie cost to make what the budget was i have no idea what do you think the budget for a movie like this in the mid 60s would have been like what do you think was a like a high budget for a like big special effects film like this in the 60s Mm. I I wouldn't really have much context for this myself. Yeah, I know. Two million bucks? It's 5.1, which okay. seems pretty high. Yeah. And then considered a huge success at $12 million in the box office. Wow. Well, so. D- I mean, double. it more than doubled its its budget, but uh, yeah, 12 mil nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's. not sound like much. That's not even an indie picture. Yeah. So interesting kind of history about this film, its novelizations and attempts at making a sequel. Okay. Uh, This is one of those movies that just has like a long history attached to it. So Isaac Asimov wrote the adaptation of the film. Like they asked him based on the movie to write the, the book adaptation, which maybe I just, because Asimov is one of those names like Philip K. Dick and one or two other guys that they seem like they're the, you know, the big cheese in the science fiction author community. It almost feels weird that they would ask a guy like Asimov, who's like one of the most creative writers of all time. Hey, would you just write an adaptation of this movie we made? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he turned them down originally, but then after he, after some negotiations, he agreed to do it if they would let him make changes because he thought there were some things that didn't make sense in the script. So he he wrote the adaptation of the movie uh, after the fact and changed some things to make more sense in his eyes. Hmm. Okay. So that was in the 60s. Then in 1984, the studio came back to Isaac Asimov and asked him to write a sequel, but he declined. And then they went to an author named Philip Jose Farmer who I've read a little bit of his work, and he's a fascinating individual. He created the concept of the Wold Newton universe, which is what the comic Planetary was based on, where you take oh. like a bunch of uh, like pop culture icons and imagine them all existing in the same world together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same kind of thing that, uh, what's the Alan Moore book, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did? Gotcha, gotcha, yep. But he also wrote some very unusual and like mature-themed books as well. He wrote a draft uh, for a sequel about two submarines battling in someone's bloodstream, like the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> I love it. Uh, which was apparently what the studio wanted, but it was never produced. And then eventually Isaac Asimov wrote a sequel to the movie as a book that was also never adapted. Oh. I'm surprised it was that late, 1984, if the movie was like as much of a success as it seems like it was. Yeah, totally. 
1997 rolls around, and James Cameron was interested in doing a remake of the film and wrote a screenplay, but then because James Cameron these days takes forever to do anything, opted to move on and work on Avatar instead. Mm-hmm. So this would have been like right after Titanic, which oh, was wow. the, you know, the last thing he did before Avatar. So then a decade later in 2007, Roland Emmerich came on board, but didn't like James Cameron's script. So he had it rewritten. But then the 2007, 2008 writers guild strike happened, which delayed the film. And Roland Emmerich moved on to make 2012 instead. Oh, okay. And then in 2010, Paul Greengrass came on board, which would have been an interesting choice. Uh, and then I'm not sure why he left, but Sean Levy then came on board, oh. director of uh, what's the fucking Rock'em Sock'em Robot movie we watched? Ah, uh, yes, yes. That I hate. <laughs> Real Steel. Yeah, real steel. <laughs> I, I, <hate> <laughs> I can't remember the name. I just remember that I hate it. Hmm. So then he was attached and actually went back to Cameron's screenplay and was planning on making it in 3D. And are you aware of who currently has the rights and has been attempting to make it for the last few years? I am. Your friend and mine. G Del T. Yep. Reteaming with David Goyer from his Blade days. Mm-hmm. You know, he was apparently working on it and then went on to do Shape of Water instead. And he's, you know, Del Toro is one of these guys who at this point has like 17 different, you know, things going on, like yes. plates that he's juggling. God knows if this one will ever happen. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I would be kind of interested to see a new update on this movie. But at the same time, I feel like with CG, it just wouldn't yes. be as interesting, you know. I think we'll get to it over the course of the rest of this episode, but yeah, there's I have feelings about like the magic of these kind of things, mm-hmm. and if is that attainable when you can make anything? You know? Yeah, like these days, you know, with you know microscopes and like uh, the all the technology that we have, like the movie could be made to be a hundred percent realistically accurate with CG, mm-hmm. but like, would you not lose something then? Yeah, I'm going to come out and say it. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't know. I feel like this is one where let's just let's just kind of leave it in the past. Yeah, but I'm with you. Unless somebody can come up with, like, something more interesting or different to do with it, mm-hmm. such as what they did with uh, Inner Space, Ooh. our next film, in 1987. Nice segue, kid. <laughs> Deploying optic remote. Optic sensor armed and ready. Switch to manual trajectory control. Firing optic sensor. What's wrong? What, what's wrong? Let, let, let me see. Let me, let me see. Oh. Let me see. Come on, where the hell's the picture? Come on. All right, Oz. It's not Oz. Who the hell is that? Where's the lab technicians? Where's the lab? It was just so strange. It was like a, someone had suddenly shoved a white-hot sewing needle through the pupil of my eye. Oh, God. You stand up now, Jack. What, what is this? 
Would it bugs just stand up? What's going on here? This can't be. I'm in a man. I'm in a strange man. I'll be a son of a bitch. I'm in a strange man, surrounded by strangers in a strange room. So, Space, very similar in as much as it's another film about uh, being injected into a body. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't intended originally to be a human body, but, um, you know, this is much more of like a adventure yarn kind of film, um, like action mm-hmm. comedy, but it's still totally. sticking with that same kind of basic premise about being injected into somebody else. Oddly enough, as I was watching the first film, Fantastic Voyage, at one point I paused it and on Amazon Prime, is that where we watched it? What, what uh, Fantastic Voyage? That's where yeah. I rented it. Yeah, so at one point I paused it and the, the chapter name came up and it was Inner Space. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, they use the term Inner Space a couple times in Fantastic Voyage because mm-hmm. there's a character we neglected to mention, the, um, the other scientist who's not Donald Pleasance. It seems like his character was in the movie just so that every like 15 minutes they could show him leaning against a console looking like longingly out into the vastness of the human body and just saying some weirdly poetic shit. Yes. Like just quoting things from like old books or something. Totally. Like that seemed to be the only point of his character. But yeah, he threw the word inner space around a couple times. Yeah. So premise behind this one is uh, Dennis Quaid is a test pilot. And he's kind of a washed up drunk that everybody thinks is kind of a laughing stock. And because of that, he's the only guy who's willing to be a part of this like very dangerous new experiment where they're going to shrink him down inside a one man capsule. And their plan is to inject him into a bunny rabbit in a lab. But then... It's not the Cold War anymore, but similar to Fantastic Voyage, there's some other people who want to get their hands on the technology. Mm-hmm. So some people bust into the lab as the experiment is taking place to like steal it, and one scientist manages to grab the syringe that Dennis Quaid and the capsule are in and makes a fantastic escape with like a really fun chase scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then just happens to run into Martin Short in the shopping mall and just as a way to keep the bad guys from getting their hands on the capsule injects Dennis Quaid into random civilian Martin short Milsey. Yes. I've seen this movie so many times, never really noticed who the kind of goon henchman with the robot hand was until watching it now. Yeah. I had no idea who that was until I read about it after the fact. Okay, because I had to stop because I was like, wait, who is this guy? Because he looks so goddamn familiar. <laughs> like, so familiar. And I was like, I was like, it's not just because I've watched this movie so many times. Like, what is going on? I had to stop. And then, sure enough, because I just watched this other movie like two weeks ago for fun. But it was he's Bennett from Commando. Yeah, let off some steam. Man, I was blown away. And he's the villain in uh, Road Warrior. Right. And makes an appearance as that character in a previous Triple Threat Theater movie, yeah, boy. Uh, Weird, Weird Science. Weird Science. Yeah, Vernon Wells. He's all over the place. Man, it was awesome. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, so for whatever reason, this movie has like weird, random things th- spread throughout it. One of them is the crazy Terminator-looking goon with a robot hand. <laughs> yeah, this one definitely has some weirdness throughout. It's like, oh yeah, it's so it's not just okay. Here's a movie about this dude is shrunk down inside someone else's body. It's like there's all these other crazy, unusual concepts and things thrown in. Mm-hmm. At times, I feel like there's maybe a little too much going on. Oh, yeah. Like, why there had to be a goon villain who has, like, a robotic detachable hand, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But then by the end of the movie, when you get to the main villain and the main female villain are shrunk down to <laughs> half size... Mm-hmm. And that's like a weird dangling pl- plot thread that ends mm-hmm. the movie and just doesn't really go anywhere. This, right. Like this movie's kind of long. It's over two hours. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of neat stuff in it, but it's biggest flaw is that it's like it's overstuffed. There's too much going on and it could have been simplified a little yeah. bit. I read a review earlier. It was, uh, I believe it was Roger Ebert from when the movie came out mm-hmm. and, it, and it, he referred to it. I think he said three out of four stars, but one of the ways he described it was overplotted. <laughs> I was yeah. like, "That yes, I agree completely. Yeah, I mean, there's enough to just have, like, bad guys want to get their hands on technology, mm-hmm. and dude gets stuck inside of a stranger, and there's, like, a fun, weird, like, buddy comedy, fish out of water situation totally. with two of them yeah. having to work together. And I love like Dennis Quaid being able to see through Martin Short's eyes after he shoots mm-hmm. him with that thing in the back of the eyeball <laughs> right. and being able to hear through his ears and like talk to him and everything like uh-huh. that's all fun. And the whole idea about, um, you know, the cowboy comes to town and the bad guys are going to try and sell the technology to him. And then the reporter girlfriend of Dennis Quaid gets involved like all that. I like mm-hmm. I feel like that's enough. Yes. Then you don't need like the other stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the time you get to like now they're shrink the bad guys are shrinking down right. an enemy to go inside and fight Dennis Quaid and <laughs> right. it's, there's so much going on. With their with their own crazy murder suit. Yeah. You know. It's funny that that character Vernon Wells plays has no lines in the movie. Did you realize that? I did. He doesn't <laughs> say anything. Yeah. He's just got like a crazy grimace when he's mm-hmm. trying to kill people. With either his finger gun or his uh, hand drill. Yeah, know? just that that would be the biggest flaw for the movie for me. And, like, you know, like I say, I, I've seen it one time before, probably like 10, 12 years ago. Did not remember a whole hell of a lot about it. And I wonder if that's why. Like, there's plenty of good stuff in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it gets, like, bogged down and overcomplicated. And that, like, I don't know if it affects my attention span or something, but... It definitely leaves me feeling exhausted. Yeah, may, maybe a little bit, but just like, mm-hmm. yeah, this movie is just like not as good as it could have been if it wasn't so overstuffed. It's definitely packed to the gills. There's no denying it. Yeah, less, less, less would have been more in this in this situation. I think. But yeah, I like Martin Short a lot in it. It feels like it was written for him to a point. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if just some equally funny actor, because, you know, there's certain things like Dennis Quaid is like playing music for him and he's getting drunk in Dennis Quaid's apartment and he's dancing <laughs> he's and stuff. Dancing. It's like that could only be Martin Short, right? Like, who else yeah. would they have intended that for? 
So apparently this movie, which again, it does have a lot of comedic elements to it. I mean, Martin Short's one of the main characters and the villains are very goofy. This movie was originally written as like a straight up action film, like action Mm -hmm. adventure without really any of the comedy. And it was actually pitched to Joe Dante, who ended up directing it, and he turned it down because he didn't like the tone of it or whatever. And then the, somebody went and rewrote it, and then later on when he got shown the new version, he decided to sign on. So I'm not sure at what point in the process these other like potential casting had like taken place in, whether it was the serious version or the comedic version. Mm-hmm. But some of the other people that the studio wanted in at different it wanted in the movie at different stages were uh Michael J. Fox being injected into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh boy. Or Mel Gibson being injected into Robin Williams. Huh. Okay. Which seems pretty close to the Dennis Quaid Martin yeah. Lawrence combo yeah. that they have. <laughs> Martin Short. He's a Martin Short. Mar- yeah. Martin Lawrence would have been good too. <laughs> now that would have been something. Will Smith injected into Martin Lawrence. Oh man, Make that's a remake I want to see. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, in his comedy era, like a little later after this movie was made, mm-hmm. if they had gotten like Arnold Schwarzenegger in that role with somebody inside of him, that could have been very funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't know oh, if it yeah. needed to be Michael J. Fox, but you know, yeah. Get uh, get Ivan Reitman in there to direct it, and maybe oh, maybe make Danny DeVito the one that goes inside of him oh, or something. Man, or hell, that. even Arnold Schwarzenegger inside Danny DeVito could have been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> either way, I'll take it either way. Yeah, and apparently Rick Moranis was also like considered for the role of Martin Short's character oh, as well okay. at some point. Coincidentally enough, yeah, I like that. You know, because in Fantastic Voyage, the person they're inside of is unconscious the whole time. And I guess the screenwriter said that was his concept for this movie is like, what if the person that, you know, they were inside of was like Mm -hmm. up and about and could experience things along with them. Right. And it definitely adds something to the scenario. Oh, without a doubt. Where like crazy things are happening inside of his body and he's aware of it. And it's like having like reactions on him in the outside world. Right. Because if you turn it into like a chase movie on the outside with a guy stuck on the inside, like, you yeah, know, there's a lot there. It was funny, like, I, I probably after, like I said, I haven't seen it in a while. So after watching it now, it's kind of like I would have thought there was more stuff from inside the body in this movie mm-hmm. or like more screen time. Because I think if you add it up, it's not really a ton. Well, the thing is, unlike Fantastic Voyage, which was all about, like, we're going on this, like, wondrous adventure inside right. the human body to fix something. Mm-hmm. Like, Dennis Quaid was never supposed to be in there. Yeah. He doesn't really have there. a yeah. goal inside the body. Right. He's mainly just there, like, telling Martin Short what to do so that they can try and get him out. Right. Yeah, I mean, that totally is the difference. It's just, mm-hmm. the stuff does look so good. And I actually love the little pod thing, I think, is I always thought it was the coolest, like, design. Yeah. Yeah, I just know that was something that I noticed this time. They they certainly don't show a lot. I mean, they show Dennis Quaid in the cockpit plenty, but mm-hmm. as far as the stuff that's in the body does look really good, but there's not a ton of it. Yeah, there's good moments like um, when he's behind Martin Short's eye and he's like sitting on mm-hmm. the stem of the eyeball, which oh, is yeah. the good stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's parts with like the red blood cells and everything. And as much as I don't think they need that sequence where Vernon Wells's character goes into Martin Short's body after him, mm-hmm. I did think it was cool that uh, they melted him in the stomach acid. Yeah. 
You could see a skeleton was pretty funny. That was pretty cool. Yeah, there's some good stuff. I liked. Uh, I did like Martin Short a lot. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. you don't see him in. I mean, what was the last movie, like newest movie you probably saw him in? I have no idea. He's one of those guys where in my mind he's like a big star, but then I feel like he really hasn't done that many movies and things because he spent such a big part of his career doing like Jiminy Glick and stuff like that. <laughs> but right. I don't know. He was in stuff like Clifford and other things back in the day. This yeah. like Three Amigos, this was only his third film, which surprised me a little bit. Oh. Yeah, it's surprising. Millsy, a part of this movie that I died laughing at, which I think I always laughed at when I was a kid, too. Mm-hmm. It's the littlest little thing, but when uh, Martin Short's in the doctor's office, and I think when Tuck first talks to him, and he just like stands <laughs> up and he goes, I'm possessed! <laughs> yeah. Still, I've loved it. All those early scenes where Martin oh. Short's not sure what's going on with him are great. Uh-huh. Like, I love the scene when Martin Short goes home and uh, he, like, throws the videotape out the window and then the assassin comes for him and uh, mm-hmm. the TV gets blown up and everything. I like all that <laughs> oh, stuff. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, Dennis Quaid sure can do a lot from inside that little pod between mm-hmm. zapping electronics, changing his face. Yeah, the face changing thing I'm not crazy about. No, of course not. Like, it feels like so unnecessary and like only added in there so they could set up that whole thing with the cowboy, which is still unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah, once again, that's another thing. Like that whole sequence where they change his face, I feel like "Mm, you could have dropped that and the movie would have been stronger. Just one less thing to bog it down. I mean, it's just they don't even need the cowboy. The cowboy should have just been taken out completely. If you think about it, I mean... There's, yeah, I mean, they could have done without him. Yeah. You know, this is one of those ones you could pick apart. Mm-hmm. That being said, I do enjoy this movie still. I mean, I still had a good time watching it. Not necessarily just for like, because I used to love it as a kid. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's still plenty to like because it's fun comedy sci-fi, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't have that history that you do with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the act of watching it, it is a lot of fun. It's got a lot of like interesting, ingenuitive ideas. Yeah, totally. I do li- like Dennis Quaid is one of those guys that I feel like he's two thirds of the way to being like like Harrison Ford level leading man status mm-hmm. or something, and he mm-hmm. just could never make it. And oftentimes, I feel like he just falls flat in lead roles. Yeah. This is one where I think because of uh, the partnership between him and Martin Short, I think mm-hmm. he works really well, and I totally. like him in it. Yeah, because he's like almost an unlikable character. Well, they they almost want to present you at present him as an unlikable character, but mm-hmm. you can't help but like him. You know, you're rooting for him, and yeah, you know, the two of them together, like you said, is fun. I think Meg Ryan's good in it too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's like it's a little unfortunate she doesn't come in until towards the end, and I mean, she doesn't have a ton of stuff to do. Right, the whole scene where like you know her and Tuck, the Dennis Quaid character. They're like on the breaks right now, but like they were in a relationship and they still obviously have feelings for one another. It's weird to me that Dennis Quaid is like, sure, I'll you know turn off the communication equipment so you can make out with my ex-girlfriend, <laughs> right. future wife. Right. Little scenes like yeah. that didn't really feel necessary, but it right. really, I guess for me, a lot of it is from the face swapping scene forward, like the third act is really where mm-hmm. all of the problematic unnecessary stuff comes in for the most part 
because before that it's just like a fun like chase movie on the run and then at the end right. is when like uh, Martin Sh- Martin Short and company start to go on the offensive and they do the mm-hmm. face swap and yeah I mean I like the bit where the other suit goes in him to go after Dennis Quaid mm-hmm. just because you know it's it's the the trouble has come to him on the inside I mean I like that it's it's not a particularly long scene I thought it was even shorter it's shorter than I remembered it being yeah. But yeah, I think the totally unnecessary, like the shrinking, the 50% shrinking. And then I think that that's an idea that could have been really fun if they did more with it. And if it happened earlier in the movie, if like there were these little short, like they almost look like ventriloquist dummies, the size that they're supposed (laughs) to be. Right. If they were around the whole movie and had like more little gags done with them, but they're Mm -hmm. pretty much just there for like that final little action bit. And then, like, they come back in a really awkward way at the very end in the luggage, and yeah, that I don't was... know, like they they are never dealt with, and it just, it feels like too little, too late, you know. Like right. you should have either done more with it or left it out entirely. I can say, like, as unnecessary as it is, and so ridiculous, but I'm watching it, I was glad it's there because that scene where they're in the car, the four mm-hmm. of them. It's so ridiculous to watch that scene. <laughs> so the, ridiculous. Because of the, like what's happening, but the being practical effects and how they had to pull off them being half size in the back of the car. Like mm-hmm. the cuts are so fast that you see like a doll head that's supposed to be the guy or those oh, weird little creepy hands. Those <laughs> long ass arms with the doll hands that don't move, like wrapping <laughs> yes. around Dennis Quaid's head is oh so stupid. Martin, or Martin Short's head <laughs> is so stupid so looking. Stupid. It's so bad, but it's like. So hilarious to watch because I there's another scene like I forgot and instantly remembered. And now when I'm an adult and I know what to look for, I was just like, I, I can't believe they filmed this. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. and like it ended up in the final cut. It looks like something that they would have been like, mm, that didn't work like yeah. you thought it would. And they had to do that like extreme angle stuff where I guess I read it because I guess like the back of the car was ha- was t- like twice the size mm-hmm. and then. The they were actually when you shot saw them all in the same shot, the back of the car is like twenty feet away, mm-hmm. and that's how like they pulled it off. I don't know. I you know I'd love to see like the the making of to see how it actually works in real time. But yeah, man, it looks so crazy. Have you ever seen the um the stuff that they did to make Gandalf look huge in the Lord of the Rings, like in the behind the scenes compared yeah, to like no, Frodo? I never have actually. No, I haven't. they do force perspective in camera with that as mm-hmm. well and it's like super impressive and i have to imagine it's the same kind of thing they did that's what that is movie. yeah that's what they called it the forced perspective yeah yeah and then like the scenes where you're just looking at those characters in the back seat it's it looks like it looks it reminded me of that playground that i was talking about from <laughs> universal studios where like uh-huh. everything was big because they yeah. look so funny like normal adult proportions but half the size that they should be in that back seat Mm-hmm. it's just a very jarring visual so like yeah like conceptually i like it but in practice in the movie the amount of time they spent on it and what they did with it i feel like it wasn't uh deserving of being in there yeah it feels like uh just like a, it's such a jam-packed script mm-hmm. that yeah if you could remove some of that stuff and make this like an hour 45 it would be mm-hmm. awesome like, yeah if it's, it'd be a lot tighter Mm-hmm. better for sure but yeah i mean as is it's it's a lot of fun uh mm-hmm. and 
since it feels like most people have completely forgotten about it, it is like a fun little gem to revisit yeah. and or discover. Absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, just the the stuff between Dennis Quaid and Martin Short is really fun. Yeah, that's when like uh, chemistry between actors comes into play. You know, mm-hmm. and saves can save something. So yeah, they were good. Yeah, man. This also won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, oh, despite okay. the little baby doll arms. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie ends with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's characters getting married, and they met on this film and actually did get married in real life. Oh, okay. I think they were together for like a decade. Robert Zemeckis, one of the many directors who was either offered this or interested in it and didn't end up making it. This feels like it would have been a really good Zemeckis type of project. Oh, totally. Richard Donner, John Carpenter, and Steven Spielberg were all interested in directing at one point. And uh, Steven Spielberg is the one who ended up uh, convincing Joe Dante to direct it after they rewrote it as a comedy because they had worked together on Gremlins. Nice. I like Joe Dante. Yeah. And... uh, I mean, as much as I don't really care for it, the face-changing sequence was done with animatronics by Rob Bottin. Oh, okay. It's kind of interesting. Oh, cool. Oh, with like his cheeks are blowing out and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's all done in fast motion, so you don't ever really get a look at it, but... Yeah. I mean, the the cheeks, like, that looked to me like they were just... They were uh, just like blowing air, blowing in, air in their mouth from off but, camera, but... Yeah, the other like shaking, extreme shaking stuff. Yeah, when they're doing the like cartoon physics of shaking your body really fast or spinning mm-hmm. around in a circle and then you change in the middle of it mm-hmm. <laughs> like i guess there were animatronic heads in there that you didn't get a really good look at that oh. were made by rob Botine. Oh. yeah it's too bad i like to imagine that he was spending all of his time working on that and was not a part of the uh, baby doll arms yeah I mean, <laughs> they probably he's like i'm too busy with the heads i can't you gotta get an intern to hit figure out the arms okay <laughs> And uh, so this movie cost $27 million to make, and uh, it was not a failure, but it was considered a disappointment by the studio. It only made $42 million. But did did crazy numbers on rentals, I think. Yeah, definitely did better in rentals, but mm-hmm. um, by that point, I think the studio had largely written it off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I read a little bit with Joe Dante and some other people who said that they thought that it had a... Uh, like a terrible ad campaign. I mean, we'll talk about the poster later, mm-hmm. but I know Joe Dante was not a fan of the theatrical poster that they went with. Mm-hmm. And I think like after it was out for a while, somebody said that they like tried to rebrand it, like not change the title or anything, but like put out new advertisements and posters, but like it was too late and oh, okay. people had already lost interest. But yeah, feels like, you know, again, it's not, it's not perfect and there are problems with it, but it definitely feels like it deserves better than it got. Yeah, I must agree. So, that is the tale of inner space. Shall we move on? We shall. Uh, finally, we end on "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" from 1989. I called the police. What's on your head? I was looking for the kids. We are in a coal mine. They're in the backyard. They are. Diane, I got something real important to tell you. That is the couch from the attic. You can see the marks where Quark chewed the arms. I found it on the floor. It's my thinking couch. Wayne, are you trying to tell me you did it? It works. The machine works. Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. What? And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. They're in the backyard. 
What? Threw them out with the trash. Stay here, I'll get the door. Yes? Did, uh, you report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? She's... Thank you. You're a friend of mine, Rick Moranis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rick Moranis was... He was a big one for me as a kid because he was in Ghostbusters and the Little Shop of Horrors, which I feel like between the ages of like when I began watching movies and like six or seven were the movies I rewatched on repeat over and over and over again. Mm. So like Rick Moranis was all over everything I was watching at that age. Totally in, in the rotation for me, for sure. Both of them. I mean, that was like the only musical I think I'd ever seen until I was an adult was <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors, and I'd seen it dozens of times. Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, I know at some point on this show before I mentioned Seven Brides for Seven Brothers that I used to watch at my grandmother's house. <laughs> but uh, yes, those might have been the only two for me. But mm-hmm. So yeah, I loved Very Rick nice. Moranis when I was a kid, and this is just another movie heavy in the rotation early 90s that... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It just, it felt like, he felt like one of the biggest movie stars in the world because he just happened to be in all the things that I liked and watched yeah. all over the, like, all the yeah, time totally. as a kid. Same thing with, like, Sigourney Weaver because she was in Ghostbusters and Aliens, which I got mm-hmm. into when I was young. And Bill Murray was in Ghostbusters and Little Shop of Horrors. So there were, like, right. these couple of actors that I remember, they seemed like the biggest stars in the world, even though they they probably really weren't. Yeah, when I, mean, I was a certain age, they're up there, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, they're sure. not nobodies or anything, but it's not like yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they were they were the they were the stars to me. Yeah, it was a uh, uh, news to me was that Joe Johnston directed this. Yeah, news to me also. This was his first directorial effort. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, he's made some great movies. He's made some shit movies too. Okay, but <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those guys where I feel like it's it's like man. This is the guy who made The Rocketeer and Captain America, but he also mm-hmm. made Jurassic Park 3 in that terrible Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie. <laughs> uh, Talk about all over the place. Well, how much of that is his fault? You know? I mean, he's definitely part of it. I'm not letting well, him of off course. the hook. <laughs> of course. But, you know. Yeah. For the stuff that's good, it's, I mean, between Rocketeer, this, and like Captain America, I'd be like, man. I'd also throw Jumanji in there. Oh yeah, Jumanji. I'm a fan of the original Jumanji. Oh yeah, yeah. So Joe Johnston's first uh, movie he directed, and he was mainly like a special effects guy beforehand, which kind of makes sense considering he made this as his first film, and then The Rocketeer came shortly after. He did The Mm -hmm. Page Master early on. Oh, your favorite? Uh, No, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I think I've seen it once. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it. So yeah. So if anybody doesn't know premise behind this movie is uh rick moranis plays a guy who quit his job to be an inventor and he's trying to invent a machine to shrink things and it's just not going well and then one day the next door neighbor kid hits a baseball through the attic window and it like lands on the machine and blocks the path of a laser which then for whatever reason makes the machine work and Mm -hmm. uh, rick moranis's two children uh, daughter and son and the two boys next door all get shrunk and Rick Moranis accidentally not realizing what has happened sweeps them up into the garbage and sets them out on the curb and mm-hmm. then the vast majority of the movie is the kids tiny 
like if an ant were the size of a human, they are the size of dogs compared to that. Mm-hmm. Trying to trek through the yard, which is miles long to them to get oh, back yeah. home. And then partway through the movie, Rick Moranis realizes what's going on and he and his wife are trying to find them. Right. But as I said earlier, this is the one of the three that doesn't have like a villain. It's just kind of an adventure like mm-hmm. let's trek from point A to point B and wondrous things will happen right. along the way. Yeah. And it does. I mean, this movie is magical. Yeah. I had not seen this in a long time. And it's one of these movies where I feel like for a couple years now, I've been like, I need to get around to watching that again. I think since I first heard, since I first realized that Stuart Gordon was Mm. a part of the film, I was like, I need to watch that again. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just not too long ago, ended up on Disney Plus. And now this episode came around and it was like the perfect storm to give it another watch. And I got to say, I mean, haven't seen it in like 20-something years, but man, oh, wow. I enjoyed the hell out of this all over yeah, again. Totally. I mean, I, I'll come out right and say it that under zero circumstances do I want a modern version of this or any kind of remake or sequel or anything. Well, you may uh, you may be in bad luck then. Well, I'm not watching it, whatever it is. <laughs> because it's just, it's not, it's for where I'm at in life as a, you know, gone on and on and on on this show, it's like. This movie with its practical effects are just like heartwarming to me. <laughs> yeah. And I could just watch it. Oh, I want to watch it again, even though I just watched it yesterday. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It really is magical. And I'm sure that nostalgia plays a part in like in this at, to a degree. But man, it is just super impressive to see yeah. the gigantic sets that they built and like the huge Lego and the giant cookie. And, you know, there's some things that don't, look 100% real some of the compositing when they have like yeah. the huge people in the same frame as like the tiny little characters yeah, the, and everything the, the, but the stuff just, with the bee yeah 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 all of the um the things that they built physically yeah. that are like meant to be tiny things that are now huge mm-hmm. and just the way they look i feel like it could look so fake but a lot of it just has like a realistic look to it because they it was a real thing they decided to make things kind of gross and like they did the ants and even the blades of grass have like these hairs kind of sticking off of them, which you'd never think about. But at that size, they very well may. I don't, I've never really mm-hmm. looked at a piece of grass that fucking close before, right, but right. like the ant, they didn't like cartoony it up too much to Not make even it even a little, you know, more appealing to kids or something like mm-hmm. all of it is, does feel like kind of gross and weird and, Real. Yeah, it's gross. It's Somehow. grimy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, the, you know, the freaking scorpion in there, too, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're falling in, like, puddles that are disgusting. You yeah, know? there's the and part just... where they come to, like, a river in the yard, and they're like, oh, I'm not swimming in that. That could be, like, dog pee. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's like, well, like, I'd be curious. Because, like you say, like, you know, nostalgia can be a factor. Like, generally, I don't think with movies nowadays, that's not really a thing for me. Because there's plenty of stuff, like. You know, I don't like that. I know I liked when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see like the people like I'd love to see like my brother's reaction to this movie now to think like if they just think it looks stupid. But it's like I love effects so much like that's it's like a renewed different kind of love <laughs> I have for it now. Yeah. And the story is just like timeless, though. I mean, between like the acting and the relationships, and just the overall story is still good. Yeah, something that's beautiful about this movie is that it, unlike uh, Inner Space, it's so simple in its premise. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like it is. You know, 
a little bit like the Fantastic Voyage. It's like they're on they're going from point A to point B and just every now and then they run into something that holds them up or becomes a problem and they have to, you know, work the way around it, which is fine, but it's like there's not 7 billion other things going right. on. Right. Right. There's like the two the the two sides where the grown-ups are looking for them and they're trying to get home and you know it gives you like the AB story almost which is fun. Mhm. It just looks it's just like the sense of wonder, you know. And and there's you know there's some there's high stakes. Yeah. You know? There's no ticking clock in this one but it's just a no. feeling of like the kids are lost in the yard, which would be like a fucking jungle to them. And Oh, God, yeah. I love the element of how afraid they are to, like, step on the grass because they could be crushing their children. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. that little uh, contraption that Rick Moranis builds that's, like, counterweighted with a TV so he can yep. hang above the grass. Yep. And... It's hanging from, like, the electrical wires. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. It's just fun. And know? like when the, the kid comes to mow the lawn and oh. they are like standing there screaming at him to get off the grass mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's another thing with like this movie and uh, Gremlins especially, but like, you know, uh, inventors in the 80s and their crazy inventions. You there know? was a, like a preoccupation with that stuff back then because you think oh, yeah. like, like you said, Gremlins where the father's an inventor and he has like mm-hmm. the... The juicer that sprays juice everywhere and like the... It's got all types of contraptions. That thing that sprays toothpaste. And in this mm-hmm. movie, you know, uh, the the lawnmower that's remote controlled and has a bunch of bells and whistles on it for no good reason. Yep, there's a dog bone thing. Yep, the, the, like the dog bone weird. dispenser, which makes you think of Back to the Future and all the crazy shit in Doc Brown's house. And oh, yeah. Man, that was like... Oh, that was I, everywhere I, in the 80s and I love that. that stuff up. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. So, yeah, just all that's just, like, so much fun. And then it's Rick Moranis, and he's just great. Yeah. And the kids are great. You know, they all, like, I don't know any of their names, but. um... Yeah, I looked them all up, and uh, for the most part, they didn't go on to do a whole lot. Uh, The younger next-door neighbor kid, the one who hits the baseball through the window, uh, Mm -hmm. the only other thing I know him from is he's Tom Hanks' best friend in Big. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. But the older brother, you know, they've all done a couple of things, but not a whole lot. The right, the daughter, uh, Rick Moranis' daughter and son, they haven't really done a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's like four distinctly different kinds of uh, personality is all yeah. kind of shoved together. Oddly enough, there's a kind of a that guy actor that's in this and Inner Space. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, the guy that comes to go on like the fishing trip. Hmm. Who's he in inner space? He's more of it in the end, but he's he's working with um to get like the program. Like he's like the head of the program. He's not the head doctor that dies, but the guy above him. Mm-hmm. He's the one that like brings them back. You know, he's like there when um Dennis Quaid gets like sneezed out of uh, <laughs> Martin Short. Mm-hmm. I don't even know his name. Yeah, I did not make that up, connection. But... Oh yeah, but he's he's kind of like a that guy actor for sure. And then you got uh, Matt Frewer in this, who mm-hmm. I thought when I looked him up online, uh, like to see what else he's been in, I thought I was going to recognize like 7,000 things. He's mm. mostly done voice acting. I mean, he's been in plenty of stuff as well. Right. But um, I think he's just got such like a unique look. Yeah. I mean, I I can't think of anything off the top of my head besides the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah, he's in that um He's in the movie Fifty Fifty with Joseph Gordon-Levitt okay. and Seth Rogen. He's like one of the other cancer patients. Um, mm-hmm. 
But then he, he's the villain in the made-for-TV Generation X movie from the 90s. <gasps> yes. <laughs> he was in the Stand TV miniseries that McGarris made. Amazing. He, he's like big. He looks like he does a lot of TV. Yeah, a lot of TV and a lot of voice acting. Mm-hmm. And he's also in uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen. He plays Moloch, one of the villains. Oh, yep. Yeah, I do remember. He's not in it a ton, but nope. Yeah, he's he's a that guy actor that like he just I always remember his face and yeah. Oh, without a doubt, hundred percent. He's just like that tall, thin. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's mm-hmm. very memorable to me, probably largely because of this movie. Yeah, he's got a distinct face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and a voice that. Tell me if I'm crazy. Maybe maybe it's just me that noticed this, but I feel like his like line deliveries and like how cartoony he is at times in this, he reminded me on this watch, especially the sound of his voice of Jim Carrey. I could I mean that, that didn't jump out to me, but I could definitely see that for sure. I feel like if you went back and you were specifically thinking about it during certain scenes, you mm-hmm. you might be able to hear it, but I got like Jim Carrey vibes off of him, like some of his like the crazy shouting that he does, and just they almost because... look alike too. Yeah, like tall and thin, but even just the face too. Yeah, but, yeah, I get, I'll back you up on that, Mills. I got you. <laughs> I knew I could count on you. Mm-hmm. Um, love the design of the like uh, shrinking gun, mm. just cobbled together nonsense. Looks really cool. Have you seen the show on Disney Plus where this it's like a documentary kind of thing? This guy like uh hunts down movie props? No. Is this the one that Rick Moranis did like a guest spot on or something? I think so, because I watched the episode, I kinda of forget, but the basically the guy tracks down what happened to the shrinking ray mm-hmm. and like refurbishes it and brings it back to what it was in this movie. Nice. It's pretty cool. I can't think of the name of it, but you should check it out. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, hearing, because Rick Moranis, you know, disappeared from Hollywood, that Mm -hmm. uh, he had, like, done a cameo spot or, like, a guest appearance on this, like, reality show. Yeah, the guy goes to, like, the guy goes to, either shows him the finished one or he goes to talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. Because he's, like, figuring out details and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. You and our loyal listeners should check it out. Definitely sounds like something I would be into. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, just the the look, like the look and the feel of the house, um, like very lived in and chaotic and just, yeah, all the special effects, the fucking giant Cheerios and the milk at the end. Yeah. Looks so like incredible. And the giant cookie in the yard. The, yeah. The giant cookie, the giant dog bone at the end for Quark. Oh, yeah. And the turkey. Oh, yeah. The giant turkey on the dinner table. Uh-huh. I just love um, when, when they first get shrunk and they're when they're on the like attic floor how mm-hmm. cool that looked yeah like even that just immediately looks amazing yeah all the all the giant stuff i guess we'd call it bigatures or whatever like that's a title oh. that's that's a term that comes from the special features of lord of the rings i like but your style all that stuff is spectacular in this uh like mm-hmm. and even like the ant auntie yes like for oh, being auntie. a huge fucking thing that they built like a giant puppet mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it obviously doesn't look 100% real but it like it never takes me out of it that it looks fake or something it looks real enough yeah it's movements and just like the I I don't know it it really works the noises it makes too it is a great effect yeah it's got 
I mean, that scene's got plenty of heart when he dies, of course. Gets me every time. Always mm-hmm. has, always will. But, yeah. you know, they nail it with, like, the subtle movements and the puppetry and the, the sound, I think. Yeah, um... Frank Welker did uh, probably a bunch of sound effects for the movie, but did like the quote unquote voice of Auntie. That's cool. He is like a voice actor, has done a thousand things. I believe he's the voice of uh, Megatron, maybe. Uh huh. He's yeah. like one of the one of the big characters on Transformers, and he does like voices for Futurama and a whole yeah. bunch of. No, other he things. is. He's Megatron. Yeah, it is. It is him. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he's in there. You're always in good hands with him. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't have a bad thing to say about this. Like the giant trash bag when they cut it open, and mm-hmm. yeah, even like like you said with the beast, it's not rotoscoping. What is it they call the which part? However, the like when they put the when they're riding on the bee, or like the when you can see the the normal size people in the background. Oh, compositing, compositing. Yeah, I mean, it's still stuff like looks good enough. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, like when they get on the bee and it's suddenly like flying through the air and you're, it almost looks like it's like rear projected or something. Like it doesn't yes. look 100% real and my eyes recognize right. that, but it's like, it's yeah. still cool as hell looking. I and mean, yeah. It's I'm... just like the execution on a concept at the with the limitations they had at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. my brain can't even fathom that it's bad in any way. Right. It's just right. like impressive that it exists. I don't know. I mean, it must just be like our experience and the way we grew up. Yeah, because I mean, how many modern movies do we still watch that have sketchball, you know, effects that mm-hmm. look terrible? Yeah. When it's it's like you can forgive things that are older because, like you said, the limitations versus you know just being underfunded or lazy with some of the stuff we see nowadays you know yeah and i'll never be able to fully explain it but like a bad practical effect i still like more than a bad cg effect any day of the week i i don't even know how someone could argue against that statement yeah you know so i'm sure someone's tried well let (laughs) them so yeah i know that i talked about this on the uh, Herky, do the Herky Jerky episode because we talked about Stuart Gordon and Robot Jocks. Mm-hmm. So I won't go fully into it here, but uh, yeah, this it was a huge revelation to me. Loving this movie as a kid and then for years kind of forgetting about it and then becoming a gigantic fan of the reanimator and Stuart Gordon and From Beyond and all and Robot Jocks and all that stuff within the last like 10, 15 years and then right. learning that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids exists because it was a premise conceived of by Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna, the guys who gave us Reanimator. Right. Because Reanimator was an independent film and it was such a success at the time that it's crazy to think that the Reanimator, like the gory movie where a disembodied head tries to give head to a naked Barbara Crampton. <laughs> Someone at Disney saw that and was like, give those guys an office. We want their creative talent yeah. here. And so Gordon and Yuzna came and like the one project that they really got off the ground was honey. I shrunk the kids, which was their idea from the beginning. Uh, they have like partial writer credit. Brian Yuzna is a producer. And so on Wikipedia and IMDb, uh, they both say that Stuart Gordon was supposed to direct the film, but fell ill. And then they replaced him with Joe Johnston. That I feel like is not true because I have heard in other places. I'm pretty sure I heard an interview with Stuart Gordon on a podcast. I forget if it was 
post-mortem with Mick Garris or if it was shockwaves or something, but mm-hmm. I'm like 90% sure I've heard Stuart Gordon tell the story that he wanted to direct the movie. And while Disney loved the idea and was happy to have them on board, they were like, no way in hell are we letting you direct this. Wow. That's the way I remember hearing it. So yeah. I mean, that makes more sense that it would just be swept away that, oh, he was sick or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, that whole idea of Disney even bringing them on board is crazy to me. But, like, if they had an idea that they thought was bankable and they were going to spend uh, $18 million at the time to make the movie, I'm not too surprised that they would have said, uh-uh, we're going to get somebody else. Mm-hmm. But then the crazy thing to me is they said no to Stuart Gordon, who had directed the reanimator and impressed them. But then they hired on Joe Johnston, who'd never directed a movie before. To make it, <laughs> I wonder if it's just like one of those things where it's like he's first time director. He'll 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 do whatever we tell him. Yeah, maybe. And it's, and, but he has, but he knows special effects. Yeah, he came from the world of special effects, and I mean, I'm not begrudging anybody. Like the no, movie's great as is, and there's no part of me that's like, oh, Stuart Gordon should have made it. He would have been better. But, but we'd also like to visit the pocket universe where he did direct it. Yeah, where Stuart Gordon went on to make the Rocketeer and Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine that yeah uh, you that. know that his he, red skull would have been pretty bad yes yeah. seriously can you imagine what his arnim zola would be like <laughs> oh god oh i, I wish i could see uh, it. cheers to that milsey yeah <laughs> the original title when they first conceived of the premise was teeny weenies <laughs> oh boy which oh, uh man, i wish we named the episode that <laughs> <laughs> we should have god damn it oh damn it and then they changed it to Grounded, which I'm not as crazy it's terrible. about. I mean, I mean, that's, her- that's a horrible name. Yeah, it's just boring. And then The Big Backyard, which is better, but not as good as Honey, I, mean, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Although he doesn't, he, he doesn't say Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Doesn't he? No, he just says I Shrunk the Kids. Hmm. Pretty sure he doesn't say the honey part. I can't be but. sure. I, I know I read a thing that uh, there's like some fucking society of grammar nerds i forget their name <laughs> but they like <laughs> this group of people uh like they have their own like uh, awards it. ceremony every year uh-huh. for like grammar usage or something i'd never heard of this before like somebody could be punking me but i read this on wikipedia or, or oh, IMDb no. or something that um yeah, check that link it's almost like the razzies how they like you know they uh-huh. give awards for bad movies Honey, I Shrunk the Kids got an award from this society of people because the correct past tense of shrink is shrank. And they were like, oh, we can't believe that you in your title put shrunk. There's there's no way this is true. There's no way. There's no reason the past tense of that shrank. I read it. Shrank. I read it or I dreamed it either way. And then uh, somebody involved in the production, I forget who it was, like came out and made a comment about like. Yeah, we know it's incorrect, but we called the movie that because it's a line in the movie. <laughs> so I, whether or not honey is a part of that, I don't know. But I know that, but it could be as innocent as like you know, everybody always says Luke, I am your father, but that's not the line in the movie. It's just I am your father, you know, that kind of thing. That's true. That's a good point. I mean, listen to me. I don't know. I mean, sh- I don't think I've ever heard anyone say shrank before. I no. believe that is sh- the actual past tense, but it's shrank. not something I ever really thought about too hard. Shranken heads? Huh? No. <laughs> I don't know. This is, again, this is something I read. Uh, okay. Maybe we'll I'm go with being it. punked on an epic scale. No. The script was originally written with Chevy Chase in mind for the lead. 
Okay. Which I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah, it could have worked, I yeah. guess. I feel like Rick Moranis is just like between uh Lewis Tully in Ghostbusters and Seymour in yeah. uh in Little Shop of Horrors. He's he's made for this kind of like nebbish nerdy scientist scientist role. Inventor guy. Yeah. Yeah. John Candy was also offered the role and he was the one who recommended uh Rick Moranis because they'd worked together at like SCTV. Nice. Sounds kind of okay. cool. And uh, yeah, so the movie cost eighteen million. This was a wild success, made two hundred and twenty-two point seven million Ooh. in the box office. And that was thirty years ago. Yeah, wow. ni- nineteen eighty-nine. <laughs> that was big money. So they immediately greenlit the sequel, uh, "Honey, I Blew Up the Kid." I know I've seen it, but I don't remember a single thing about it. Yeah, uh, he accidentally enlarges the baby. Like they have a new baby, a uh, mm-hmm. little boy, and from what I remember. It's like he he's pretty big when they first in like enlarge him, but then there's something about every time the baby comes in contact with like electricity, it makes him bigger or something. So like he gets out on the loose and then he gets like electrocuted, I think, and like gets larger and larger until he's like Godzilla size. That is weird. I believe that's the premise. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, I definitely never liked it anywhere near as much as the first one. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I got I to gotta talk about it. There is currently a legacy sequel, quote unquote, in the works. Called... Legacy sequel. That's how they call it. That's how they refer <laughs> that's to these what it's, That's what they're calling it. Uh, called Shrunk with Josh Gad lined up to star. And word on the street is that Rick Moranis is going to come out of semi-retirement to appear in the film as his character from the original Wayne Selinsky. I don't know if that huh. means that Josh Gad is playing like his son all grown up or something, mm-hmm. maybe. And also allegedly Joe Johnston is going to direct the film. Oh. The range of disappointment versus excitement would be if someone was smart enough to just do all practical. Yeah. They never would, but no. imagine what that would be like. It's just like, you know, back in the day, this thing cost $18 million and it was a huge success for them. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, the typical price for like a special effects movie like this would surely be is like eighty million 100. and up. Yeah. All right. Have that. Give mm-hmm. them forty million, and do it primarily uh, practically. Yeah. I'd love to see what that would look like. Totally. And compared to the eighty million or up that you would spend on like the CG version, mm-hmm. it's comparatively kind of low risk. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it there's no way you could tell me that the practical stuff costs more. Yeah. I just don't believe it. This will never happen, and we're barking up the wrong tree. But Of course. but It's a dream of mine. Boys for, can dream. Yeah. Like, I just, I can't believe that, because, you know, there's all these independent filmmakers who love the same kind of practical effects from the, like, 80s and 90s that we do, and mm-hmm. they all try and make... You know, practical effect genre movies, but the thing is they're independent filmmakers, and so they don't really have the budget to be able to pull it off. And it's like, oh, it was a nice thought, but you know, your movie ended up being kind of crummy because you don't have the resources. Right. Meanwhile, nothing would pique my curiosity more than to see a studio say, okay, we used to do this without computers. Let's see if we can do it again. And I'm not saying like not use any computers at all. Right. But like, you know, if you want to hide the strings or whatever. Like, yeah, they got to like embellish what you got to embellish. But 
Yeah, I mean, right down to the fact that, like, I can watch a Leica movie, and I know that they use computers to erase, like, the seams and, like, the little bits of the face that they change to do the different emotions on the characters. I mean, that's the best way, that's the best example you can make, is that. Yeah, like, yes, they're using CG, but I don't give a shit about that. Like, they're just, like, fixing little problems. Mm -hmm. I just want to see a movie where 90% of the thing that you're seeing on screen that's, like, unbelievable that it exists in reality is actually real. I'm with you. But nobody wants to do it anymore. The closest we get is, you know, like uh, Guillermo del Toro makes a movie and they have like a practical fish man and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Like he's he's spearheading that kind of stuff for sure. But... Yeah. Stuff like Pan's Labyrinth. and mm-hmm. It's an uphill battle. Yeah. <sighs> well, we can Sigh. dream, Elsie. We can dream. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. Anything else about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Or... No. I'm ready to talk about these posters. Do some posters. Oh, yeah. So I feel like as with pretty much all old movies from like the early 70s and before, there's like 73,000 different layouts (laughs) for the Fantastic (laughs) Voyage poster. Uh Uh, The one that we're talking about is the one that I saw the most. The one I'm more familiar with is it's primarily white and it's like that the eye that's on this one with the little people. Like, as the mm-hmm. primary image that takes up most of the poster, but I saw this one all over the place, so I'm going to take it for granted that this is the yeah, original advertising poster. I don't think I've ever seen this before. So Maybe. it's primarily red with bright-ass yellow. I don't know why mm-hmm. there's a white mountain range in the background. Yeah. There's weird. not a mountain in this say, fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. I, like, love the design of the ship in this movie. This is potentially the worst angle they could have picked to show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's little people on top of an eye, but that doesn't necessarily say to me, like, we've shrunk people down and sent them inside of a body. And then there's, like, a picture of a ship, but you don't get the impression that it's tiny or anything. I I feel like this is not the best. This is junk. I I hate this. (laughs) It it doesn't accomplish anything for this movie. A fantastic and spectacular voyage through the human body into the brain. But it's like they, they're afraid to show what they put in the tagline because it just looks like this is a submarine movie. Yeah. With divers and mountains. It almost looks like an outer space movie to me because it looks like they're kind of wearing spacesuits. It looks like one or two of the people is floating. Mm-hmm. That could be a spaceship. The mountains in the background give me the impression like, oh, this could take place on a snow planet. I don't know. Right. The last thing you think is this is in some dude's lungs. Yeah. And like the giant eyeball with the little people around it, like it doesn't say to me people going inside of a body because that just looks like the kind of weird visual that people would put on movie posters for sci-fi films back in like Mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s yeah like that image could be just as you know relevant to like the omega man or planet of the apes or something i feel because of just the way they designed posters back then yeah i'm with you so Mm. it's not not great yeah uh inner space uh, this is apparently this poster, which was like the primary poster for the advertising campaign, is not the one that I am more familiar with, which has like Martin Short kind of floating in the foreground. Like that's the one I'm more familiar with. But apparently this was the original movie poster. And among other people, Joe Dante feels that this advertising tactic is part of why the movie did not succeed. I would agree with him just because that makes sense to me while looking at it right now. Millsy, I've seen this movie so many times. Like I've said, 
I have never seen this image before. <laughs> yeah. I can be, I can 100% be positive. I've never seen this before. If I had, well, like I said earlier, like the movie came out, it didn't perform well. And then I think they abandoned this advertising campaign and tried to like rebrand it. And mm-hmm. that's probably the stuff we're more familiar with. But from what I was reading, this is like the original direction that they went. Yeah. That like the one with Martin short floating doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily look familiar. What looks most, what I assume I would have thought was like that one of uh, Dennis Quaid's face when he's got the goggles on and he's like the sh- what the shrinking effect. That's like the background of this floating poster. Yeah. Like, see, that's the one with him in the background and Martin Short in the foreground. That's the one that I'm more familiar with. Just even just that image of him in the background. I feel like I would have said if you'd asked me beforehand what was on the poster, it was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one that is the actual I did. I see that this is what they're saying is the actual poster. I've never seen this before. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently it was buried like two weeks after the movie came uh, out. I mean, the thing is horrible. This other inner space poster that we were just talking about with Martin Short floating, mm-hmm. uh, that gives me no impression that shrinking is part of the yeah. film. Whereas, Absolutely. you know, this poster we're talking about, the original one with the fingers holding the little ship, mm-hmm. uh, it's not the greatest poster in the world, but at least it does... I yeah. feel tell me that the movie is about shrinking somebody down. It's yeah. It's, I mean, it's better in that regard. Cause the other one just is just, it has everything from the movie. You could think that needs to go on except the for the insinuation that they shrink somebody. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this one, I think the problem with this original poster is it makes it feel too like, again, uh, what we were talking about with fantastic voyage and all of the like time that they spent, just with like the magic of how this is going to happen in the beginning of the movie, this feels too much like, look at, look at how wondrous this Mm. is. Like, Oh, can Mm -hmm. you believe it? Whereas the movie's tone is like, ha ha, this is fun and exciting. (laughs) But the poster makes it look like, ah, it makes me feel like it's like 2001, a space odyssey. (laughs) Exactly. Like the, the lighting and just how like dramatic it is with the little silhouettes It Mm -hmm. it looks too self-important or something. Yeah. I hate the logo, too. I'll tell you what I hate is uh, the red text at the top that's really hard to read because it's yeah. on top of, like, the the blue and the skin tone. Yeah. Like, and why is that any... text not white? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just a lot of mistakes. God, the red text ab- above the, uh, the credits at the bottom is hard yeah. to read, too. You can't even tell. What does that even say? This, this summer, summer take, take a trip, a trip you'll trip. never forget. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is why was that necessary? That tells you nothing. <laughs> yeah, like why does it need two taglines? Yeah. Two unreadable taglines. And at least, you know, the top one has the word proportion in it, so it's like, okay, I get it. We're making a pun about size. Right. This summer take a trip you'll never forget means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just why is it I mean two unreadable taglines? Yeah. Why? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a nice painting, but that's about it. That's about it. Uh, And then we have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So there were a bunch of different versions of this same image. This Mm -hmm. one has the little guy down in the corner that advertises that this came, or that's showed in theaters with the first Roger Rabbit short Mm -hmm. from Warner Brothers. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, whether that little image is there or not, this is the classic image. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, again, it could be because I'm so nostalgically familiar with this image, but this is like, 
I don't know. I think this is really good. Yeah, I mean, it's um, especially the logo, I feel, is like so burned into my memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this just makes sense. I mean, it's it's slightly misleading because of the size of the kids, but it makes sense for the poster because they couldn't shrink them down as much as they were. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're maybe half the size, actually. Or less? No, less. They're supposed oh. to be a quarter of an inch in the actual movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and just... the kids here look like they're closer to an inch tall right. on the so, poster. But, but, I mean, here's the all thing. All intents and purposes, it's fine for the poster. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the time we go on and on about, like, is the poster representative of the film? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's exactly what my problem with that Interspace poster is. It does not represent the tone and the style of the film at all. Right. And this is, like, it's, like, bright with a white background. It's like, it's a very like bright, fun, inviting movie. The premise of the movie is this guy's children get shrunk down and they're trying to find them. And this Mm -hmm. image kind of gives that like, he's surprised to see them. They're tiny. Uh, The family dog is on the poster, even though that's either not the same dog or they swapped or they flip flopped the image because the right side of the dog's face in the movie is white. which is something that I never noticed before. But after watching the movie, when I looked at this poster a second time, I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't even look like the same dog. And then I realized that only one side of his face is brown. Yeah, I did not catch that. So good call. Not a thing worth getting hung up on, but Mm. I noticed it. (laughs) But then even like the title of this movie, like inner space, once you know what the movie is, sure, that title works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fantastic voyage. That could mean anything. Going to the moon, going to the bottom of the sea, going inside someone's body. You don't know. I mean, the title is like the plot synopsis for this movie. Right. And that's why I think it's fantastic that the poster does not have a tagline. Because the title is the tagline. I concur completely. So. The only thing that would make this better is if it was like painted by Drew Struzan. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, I don't know. I think this is a very strong poster. It's solid, Milsey. Yeah. All right, break it down for the people. (sighs) <sighs> um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is going to get five gigantic Cheerios. I like it. I mean, again, yeah, it could be a painting, but like this poster sure. is appealing and it achieves everything that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Inner Space, I like the painting, but it's not like a great movie poster. So I'm going to, I don't know, I'll I'll give it two... Tiny people battling inside Martin Short's Ooh. bloodstream. <laughs> and enough. I'll give Fantastic Voyage, like, I don't know. Design-wise, it has a lot of those old-school elements that I like, but it really does nothing for the selling of the movie at all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give Fantastic Voyage one headless Donald Pleasance having had his head <laughs> popped off by a white blood cell. Oh, I love Billsy, we didn't even get into it. Do you think is it enough for you to think that those white blood cells just swallowed up everything they left behind in his body and they didn't like grow and explode out of his brain? So that going back to what I was saying earlier when um I was talking about Isaac Asimov uh mm-hmm. wanting to change some things when he did the adaptation. Oh, go on. He surmised that even if the white blood cells like broke down all of the um the parts of the ship, you'd still have like fragments of it that would then grow to full size and kill the guy. <laughs> uh-huh. The metal fragments in his brain. Also something I never would have thought of, but a point that Isaac Asimov made is so you 
shrink down the ship to, you know, it's not small enough to fit inside someone, but it's like the size of a Hot Wheels car Mm -hmm. after like phase two or whatever. And then they put it inside of a giant syringe and shrink the syringe. Mm -hmm. So all of the water that's in the syringe that is injected into the guy is also shrunk. Uh, So all that water that they injected into him to get the ship into him would also expand and he'd like explode with water. So not something I ever would have thought of. And I'm happy to just say, yeah, I get it. The white blood cells like consumed the, the ship, but, uh, that just goes to show why Isaac Asimov is a more intelligent uh, person right. than I am. Oh, same here. But I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing the body horror version of that movie where people do explode because <laughs> things are growing inside of them. Yeah, the Cronenberg version. Mm-hmm. Oh man, if they were going to do another version of this movie, I feel like David Cronenberg would have, like, at a certain yeah. time in his life, been a good guy to do it. Totally. Like right after The Fly, do oh, like David Cronenberg's Fantastic Voyage. Oh. And they're like, and it's like a part of it is that the Russians have the technology and they just, you know, people, politicians and people in power just spontaneously explode, have explode out of their bodies. Just imagining what the like, you know, the body's defenses would have looked like in a Cronenberg movie Ugh. coming after them to like destroy the interloper Ugh. inside the body. Yeah. Oh, God. Gross. That would have been something. Man, man. We're all about the dream in here tonight. Yeah. Mm. It's just all about the dreaming in general, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got a dream. So uh, that's our third T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Time to buy, borrow, and burn. Oh, and is it that time already? It is. It is that time. And uh, I'll take the lead on this one if you oh, if you don't mind. Please, please do. Uh, this is one of the easier ones for me. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids holds up impeccably. Still love pretty much everything about it. I would not change anything about it. It, you know, something I would like to buy. So I'm going to buy this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there's a nice version out there or not, but. Okay. Fantastic Voyage. I appreciate it from a point of view of look what they managed to achieve in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It's a little slowly paced for my taste. And. While at the time probably really impressive, the movie in general, it's just kind of bland. With like a really interesting premise, in this day and age, it's just a little bland. So uh, I don't hate it or anything, but it's going to have to get launched into the sun because mm. inner space, while I feel it is flawed, uh, the parts of that movie that work are really entertaining. Nice. And I would say three quarters of that movie is great, and one quarter of it is not necessarily bad, but unnecessary. But just half-sized people you don't care for. Again, if they shrunk those villains down, <laughs> like, 45 minutes into the movie, and they were running mm-hmm. around for an hour, and you could every now and then cut away to, like, their hijinks, mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like such an afterthought, I would be all about it. Okay. Um, I mean, I made version. fun of the baby doll arms quite a bit, but uh, if there was more <laughs> of them, I would be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad they're there. Yeah. So, uh, gonna right. buy Honey I Shrunk the Kids, borrow Inner Space, and unfortunately, burn Fantastic Voyage. Mm. I like it. I like your style. Where do you stand, Mills? Well, I will say, Honey I Shrunk the Kids is a classic, wonderful movie. Probably one of the best movies we've watched on Triple Threat Theater. Oh, bold. It does everything it sets out to do. And 
for me, where I've been at in life in recent years and just what I want to see in movies, new and old of that, that quote unquote movie magic. It's got that. And then some, so speak the gospel. Honey, I shrunk the kids is uh, clearly my buy inner space. Loved it as a kid. Fantastic voyage. Never seen, but was aware. I came away from this episode, like having different feelings on both. You know, I was like, Inner Space kind of took a hit, and there was plenty to like in Fantastic Voyage, but also just being like such a sign of the times. Kind of like you said, it's like it's bland. Like there's not a lot of personality to the movie or the characters, mm-hmm. um, but it is just you know it's there for the plot. Um, and then Inner Space has too much plot. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's basically the same thing, man. There's plenty to still like in Inner Space. That's going to be my borrow. Good old Fantastic Voyage. While I enjoyed, it's got to get launched. <laughs> we match again. Look at that. It's been a while, I feel like. But yeah. It's kinda, Still, I mean, know. 40 episodes in. We've done it a few times now. Mm-hmm. Now, leading up to the episode, I was sh- I was like, I'm going to have like a dead heat here between Inner Space and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah. Just because of growing up and how much I love them both, but... As I was, I watched them in order, chronologically, mm-hmm. and probably halfway through Interspace, I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I, this is like taking some hits, so. Yeah, gets a little tedious. A little te- and then I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, is Honey, I Shrink the Kid's going to hold up as much as I think it's going to, and then it did deliver it, so. Yeah, man. It's a good time. Some, some good movie watching. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to the time when we determine what movie we're going to watch next. And, uh, it does. It's once again time for us to invite a guest on for next yeah. episode. Yeah, bringing a friend along for the ride. Yeah, so uh, episode 41 in just three short weeks. We're going to be joined by a friend of yours and mine, Brian mm. Weiner. Very excited. Uh, took a little while to convince him to take the chance here, and he... Yeah, yeah. May never want to come back on the show, depending on what uh, trio yeah. of films we randomly generate here in a moment. But uh, he he knows we're both crazy in our own ways, so <laughs> you know, I could see someone on the outside being like, "I don't know what to expect from this." So he's agreed to take the plunge. So let's find out what let's Brian is going to join us to review on uh, episode forty-one of Triple Threat Theater. Millsy, how many crazy movie trifectas have we come up with? <laughs> The list just keeps on growing. At this mm. point, we have 228. Two, twenty-eight. Here we go. Millsy. Roll them dice. 66. 66. 66. Okay. I don't think Brian will have too much trouble with this one. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay. Theme for next episode is squad goals. <laughs> <laughs> Could mean a lot. I think it'll make perfect sense once everybody what the movies Uh are but in the meantime if you want to try and figure out what they are we'd love to hear your guesses please i mean does anyone that know brian and then know what our reaction was could they would that help them figure it out i don't don't know know. i would not say that this theme is specifically suited to brian's taste but uh knowing the kinds of things that brian is not into he could have done way worse (laughs) on the lottery here so fair fair (laughs) all right I'm I'm only familiar with these movies by name alone. Oh, really? I don't know anything else, I think. 
Uh, I've seen two of the three, and mm-hmm. I'm very excited to finally get around to watching the oh. third. So nice, perfect. Uh, this is. I think this will be a good time, good Sweet. conversation. So Excellent. come back in three weeks and mm-hmm. see if my prediction is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Milzy. Yes. For Trip with That Theater, I'm Jody Axberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.